0: It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the Word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the Word. Our teaching tonight is going to come from the Gospel of John, specifically the 12th chapter. And we have given an account, the last days Jesus had on the earth before his death. Crucifixion and death. So we are having the last account. Why do I choose this? Because, again, for some of us who know, if you go back retrospectively through history, this is about the time Jesus was about to be crucified and killed. And that's the essence of your celebration of the Resurrection Sunday. We call it Resurrection Sunday. Uh, crucifixion is on Friday, isn't it? So we are in the weeks of the death. And resurrection of our Lord. And so I got a story that happened shortly before the crucifixion and death of Jesus Christ. There's something right there. In fact, after the story I'm going to read, then comes that celebration, what you call Palm Sunday, the day of the triumphant entry. They call it the triumphant entry in human history, where Jesus comes through in Jerusalem. And then they lay down their clothes and then they're, you know, shaking the palm, saying, Hosanna is the king. Blessed is the king of Israel the one that comes in the names of the Lord. That's the time about that same time frame. So the event I'm going to give you is the event shortly before that because God wants to teach us something. And today, the title of the sermon is the Foundations of Worship. We need to understand what does it mean to be a worshiper. You know today, the concept, the revelation, the idea of worship has been belittled. It has been diluted through our inferior interpretations of scripture. Some say, who is a worshiper? The person who sings in church. That's a worshiper. We have a meeting with the worshippers after service and then only the singers stay. Praise the Lord. That is a wrong interpretation of what? Of worship. Worship is not about song. Worship is not about having a good voice. So, worship goes beyond what? Song. And that's not the mentality we should have as of to think that because somebody can sing, therefore they are the worshiper. All of us are what? Worshippers. The Bible says that they that worship God, worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, a story is given in the Gospel of John, the 12th chapter. Six days before the Passover, Jesus goes to Bethany where Lazarus who had died and whom he raised from the dead was living. And then they made a supper. Martha was serving. Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. And Mary took a pound of ointment of pure liquid nard. I'm reading the Amplified Version. Mary took a pound of ointment of pure liquid nard, a rare perfume in KJV, spiked nard that was very expensive and she poured it on the feet of Jesus and wiped them with our hair. And the whole house was filled with a fragrance of perfume. But Judas Iscariot, the one of his disciples who was about to betray him, said, Why this perfume is not sold for 300 denarii, a year's wages of an ordinary workman, and the very money given to the poor, the destitute. Now, verse 6, he did not say this because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. And having the bag, that is the money box, the purse of the twelve, he took for himself what was put into it, pilfering the collections. And Jesus said, let her alone. It was intended that she should keep it for the time of my preparation for burial. And she has kept it that she might have it for the time of my embalming. You'll always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. Somebody shout hallelujah. Now to give us a little context here, to go back. It's important for us to understand the three fundamental figures, the completions of the spirit. The completions of the spirit are about four dimensions of completion. Many of us know just the one completion, the number seven meaning complete, but there are various completions. And in the threes also, in the realm of the number three also, there is a completion in the spirit, all right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You know, there's a completion there in the Old Testament. We see the patriarchs before The flood and the patriarchs after the flood. Before we have uh, Ebel, whom Cain slew. We have Enoch, and then we have Noah. And then after that, we have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the completion. It's the threes. They come in the threes. And there's a great mystery here when it comes to Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. Those three belong to one family, and they had a very unique relationship with Jesus Christ. Now to take us a little bit back here as we have seen through scripture Martha cooked that day. But it's not the first time Martha cooks. When we go back through scripture we see that they enter into a certain village and Martha invites Jesus to her home. As it was a feast theologians call it the feast of Purim and in that period, they used to invite guests to come and, you know, feast in home. So Martha was literally fulfilling the Jewish feast in inviting Jesus to cook for him. And then a certain woman, her sister called Mary, sat at the feet of Jesus and heard the word of Jesus. And then Martha comes and says, Master, does it not trouble you that I am preparing food for you as fulfilling the feast of Purim? But my sister sits back alone, and I'm serving while she's seated at your feet. And then Jesus says, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. That's the first time we see Jesus calling a person troubled. They weren't under a demonic spirit. They weren't dealing with small generational curses. but the spiritual realm looked for a word for Martha and called her troubled. So to be troubled, you don't necessarily need to have a problem in your family. But sometimes to be troubled is to be off tangent, off channel with purpose. Anybody who is off purpose with God is actually in trouble. They just don't know it. They're troubled. They just don't know it. So the Bible says, one thing is needful. And Mary has chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. Mary has chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. She was at the feet of Jesus. Are you following and then a few days later, we see they raise Lazarus from the dead and then later on towards his death, Lazarus and the whole family invites Jesus to come and feast with them. And this time again, Martha is what? Cooking. I thought she would say, eh, last time the master had taught us what to do right. But Martha is again what? Cooking. And Mary had received something off the feet of that man and she comes directly to the same feet the Bible says. She pours expensive oil about the wage, the total wages a man would earn in a year, like a whole salary in a year. That was the price of that perfume and then she washed the master's feet and then dried them with her hair and then the whole house is filled with fragrance and then you have a Judas Iscariot who says now this money that you are spending. Don't you think that we could have given it to the poor and the destitute, such that they can eat? Why are you wasting money pouring just on feet and then you're rubbing out that oil immediately? We have wasted. Judas says we have what? We have wasted. The scriptures tell us Judas did not say that because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. What if Judas had cared for the poor? Think of a parallel universe where truly Judas was caring about the poor. Even if Judas was caring about the poor, he was still out of line because he did not have a full understanding of what was taking place. But in this instance, the scriptures tell us that Judas was greedy. He loved money. He used to keep the money box, the pass. And he stole every now and then. Now, I always tell people that one of the greatest gifts God can ever give you in this Christian walk is to know his ways, to know how God works. It's a very important thing to think. Because look at this Judas is a thief. But when God looks through the twelve to entrust with money, Judas is the one they have given the responsibility. It's like putting butter next to heat. And in God, in his infinite wisdom, will amaze you by trying you with a thing that you are weak at. And not because he intends to punish or provokes something indifferent out of you. But on the contrary, where your weakness is, your strength is always. Somebody shout hallelujah. (laughs) And if you do not know the ways of God, you would think, why would Jesus entrust a man who is a thief to steal? Do you know that in the days of Jesus, there are people who probably even doubted him, Because they say, if you're a prophet, really? You're a man of God, you hear God, really? Can you hire a thief to keep your money? Now, I imagine the class of people that say, "Mm -mm, this boy, Jesus, is a bit confused. (laughs) He's not stable. Because some of us know Judas. I went with a guy to school. That guy is a thief. You understand what I'm saying? And I'll tell you something, as men of God, there are things that we have done Not that we don't know or understand, but because there is a higher law that commands us to act a certain way. doesn't mean that we are indifferent or that we don't know. No. You'd be so blind to assume so. But some assume that, oh, how can you trust this man with the past? Yet he's the thief. Because God will always see strength where weakness is. Some people don't actually appreciate that in spite of the fact that Judas was a thief, He must have been a good financial manager. I mean, by the time you steal and they can't get you. Okay, you steal, they can't get you, but they are all provided for. Because Jesus said, when I sent you, did you lack? And they said, no. That means Judas knew how to steal. And yet they are all what? Supplied. Now that is deep in the wrong sense, in the dark sense. But it is deep. You understand what I'm saying? God will always build strength where your weaknesses are. Somebody shout hallelujah. So sometimes I have realized by God that sometimes he will not take you away from what makes you weak. Sometimes he will allow and provoke the very thing to make you weak to stay there in your presence and place of responsibility because true deliverance is when you can live where the thing that should make you weak will want to make you weak, but it cannot make you weak anymore because in there you have found strength. That's two deliveries. For example, you had a drinking problem. Okay? But then, by policy in your company, there's a drinking day. Where you work. Huh? And you're trying to fight drinks And that is the day somebody offers you. Hey man, I want to take you out for a beer. You know, it's like those of us who have fasted for a long time. Do you know people give you food when you're fasting most? One time somebody random, you know one of those people who I think are one of the selfish people in the world. They don't give. I know them. I know them like Jesus knew his iscariot. You understand? One day I was in a deep fast. I'm seeking God. He calls me. Grace. Uh Today I want to take you for food. I said. Sat and get behind me. Okay, in my heart, I didn't tell him directly. Why was the food coming on the day when I'm what? Fasting. And whether you want it or not, that's just the way of life. That when you're coming out of a drinking issue, that's the day a guy will want to offer you. That guy who doesn't give, that's the day he will want to. You understand what I'm saying? You're staying away from cigarettes, you're fighting this thing, and then you sit in the Uber and the guy saying, cigarette. True deliverance is when you can say, no thank you. Not, uh, and then you sound like the muezzins of the Mosque. (laughs) Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. So, we see that Judas is dealing with greed. And in his indifference, he actually has a reason. He has a reason. What is greed? Greed is the excessive desire to acquire in the material world. The excessive desire to acquire in the material world. could be possessions or any other thing that the material world is able to offer you than the spiritual. And the spiritual. Somebody shout Hallelujah. And I have known this for a fact, that no matter how long it takes, every manner of greed always will lead to some sort of death. If not physical, spiritual. Proverbs 1.19 says, So are the ways of everyone that is greedy of gain, which taketh away the life of the owners thereof. Wow. So is everyone that is greedy. It takes away. The life of the owners. And does it surprise us that eventually later on this very Judas sold off Jesus Christ for a pay. And then after that, when he sells him off, Jesus is crucified. Conviction hits this man and then he goes and buys a field of the very money and then he hung himself and died because greed always kills the person. It might not be physical, it might be spiritual, but eventually greed kills. Somebody shout hallelujah. It always kills. But you see, the danger of this is that when the spirit of greed is functioning or operating on the man's life, there's always a justification of that greed. And sometimes the justification really in the normal sense of application normal sense of application is reasonably right. It's accepted. You see? Look at what the man was saying. That if you had saved this oil and we sold it, would have given it to the poor. Wasn't he right? In many sense, he made sense. Whether he was to the end seeking to steal which is Judas's case or not, It's almost as though when a man does not have a full revelation of God, it is easy to judge in the realm of reason and actually appear to be so true yet not true. As I've walked with God over the years, I think one of the things that has fascinated, amazed me most, is that the more I have grown to know God, the less I have judged. The more I have grown to know God the quicker I have understood men in their weaknesses the more I have grown to understand God the slower I am to point the finger at an individual and sometimes not to question so much where I don't understand because there are going to be times you will not understand and God interestingly has chosen to reveal himself to us according to the degrees of where we are able to understand him. Praise the Lord. Satan knew God, didn't he? But he fell. He knew God, but he fell. He was a choice cherub, was a celebrated being in heaven. God has given him so much. But the reason why Satan fell is there are certain things he did not know about God although he had a certain revelation of God, more than many Christians. For example, do you read when they're talking about the king of Tyre, when the Bible says he said, I will ascend to the throne and be like God. Do you realize he did not say, I'll be better than God. He knew who God was. He knows nothing or nobody can be better than God. He knows how big God is. He knows how big God is. So he says, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds and I'll be like, not above or better than. He knows you cannot be more than the most high. He must have had a revelation of how big God is, but not necessarily who he was, but how big God is. When you take time to study Isaiah and then study through scripture, you'll be amazed at what Satan knows about God. Although, if he had known God fully, He would not have fallen. He would not have fallen. You following what I'm saying? He would not have fallen. For example, the Bible says that the rulers of this world did not know the Christ. For had they known him, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. If they had understood the wisdom which is in God. So, do not think in this world that you have an exclusivity of the knowledge of God above everyone else. So you might assume that you do. But believe me. God deals with all of us differently. And the more you get to know God, the less you judge. Because like I said, his ways are interesting. He deals with all of us differently. I'll give you a typical example. And why Judas is quick to judge Mary. He's very quick to judge Mary. You can easily say, oh, you know, this such of done is for the poor. Because many of us are quick to judge the actions of other individuals. Especially, you are quick to judge men of God. Many people are very quick to judge God's servants. Because you perhaps know God from where he is able to talk to you. Okay? I'll give you a typical example. When God was building a covenant with the children of Israel, he appealed to them never to marry outside their own people. Even when he was getting a wife, Abraham was getting a wife for Isaac. He sent an angel to go with his servant, to his own people, because there was already an instruction never to marry outside your own. Agreeable? And then, in the story of Moses, for example, he falls in love with a Cushite woman, an Ethiopian woman. And then Aaron and Miriam have a problem with Moses. Why do they have a problem with Moses? God has spoken to us that we are not supposed. To marry outside our own people. But now Moses has broken the law of God. And he has married a Cushite woman. An Ethiopian woman. And God calls Moses and Aaron. Out of the tent of meeting. And Miriam. And tells them this is the problem. The problem is not that Moses has married a Cushite woman. The problem is you don't know me. Yes. And then God gives them the classifications. If you read in the New Living Translation from about verse 8. He said, now listen. If there are prophets among you, I the Lord would reveal myself through them in visions. And I would speak to them in dreams. If anybody is a prophet among you. Now he's trying to show them who he is. He's saying, if anybody is a prophet among you, I would speak to them through vision, and through dream. But he said, that is not how I speak to my servant, Moses. Now, if you are a reader, if you are a reader, and I'm talking about the designer of truth, you would know the difference between a prophet and a servant of God. Who has understood what I just said? I speak to prophets in visions and dreams, but not so with my servant Moses. That is why in scripture, there's a place where he calls them my servants, comma the prophets. You understand what I'm saying? Cannot do anything except reveal it unto his servants, comma the prophets. Follow the rendering. He did not say except he revealed them to his prophets. He's saying, except he reveals them to his servants, the prophets. I'm talking about the servant prophet. That is different from a prophet. God is trying to show Miriam and Aaron, you might see through vision, you might see through dreams, but when it comes to the man who serves me as Moses, the vision and dream is an inferior realm. He says, I speak to him face to face clearly and not in riddles, saith the Lord. And he says, for were you not afraid to criticize such a man? Were you not afraid to criticize such a man? That means there are things the Lord cannot speak through the realm of vision. And so by right, not prophet can access Look at the heart of the Shunammite woman. You remember the Shunammite woman? When she lost her child? When she comes to Elisha, who is a prophet? He says, the Lord has hid it from me. The Lord would not tell Elisha that this woman had lost her son. Why would the Lord not tell Elisha that this woman had lost her son? Why would the Lord not tell Elijah that there were 7,000 men that had not yet bowed to bow? He needed a certain experience with God that was beyond vision and dream to see 7,000 men. He was not in the realm of vision and dream. Now, some people think that the holistic oracle is revealed in vision and dream. No. There is counsel that cannot come through the realm of vision and dream. It can only come Through the experience of the Father. So I'm not saying that vision and dream are not important. I'm only saying they're not the highest places with which God reveals himself to men. And neither are they enough to reveal the full oracle. They're not enough to reveal the full oracle. So he's telling Aaron and Moses. But I don't speak in the realm you expect. Okay, you remember what you read and what was spoken to you as was given. And from there, you're judging a man for marrying a Cushite woman. But Aaron and Moses, your problem is you actually don't know me like this guy knows me. Hey! Now, as dangerous as this might sound when you're teaching a baby, there are liberties that are exclusive to certain people and are not known in the realm of vision and dream. Now that I mean that everyone who does something out of order is in that realm. Some are just indifferent, complacent young men or women trying to grow in the ways of the spirit. And you can know by the fruit. The pastor, one time, pastor woman I know, went and slapped the girl. She said, holy anger. (laughs) (laughs) But because I'm a man of God and I know the woman very well, it wasn't holy anger. It was (inaudible) carnality. Holy anger. The zeal of God was on me. I couldn't allow her. No. She had a problem with the girl because she suspected this girl had a relationship with her husband. And she kept her She always knew one day this girl will cross it. She was just praying for a day this girl will fall into her gap. (laughs) And unfortunately that fateful day this girl said something funny but not outside really the confines of the usual madness and gap that sometimes you find in church members. Spiritual mother walked there. Holy anger. Don't speak such things in the presence of God. (laughs) Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. So There's a thin line there in explaining the maturity of that liberty because it can actually be easily used for vice when a babe assumes that they're in that liberty, yet they are actually not. You understand what I'm saying? Why would God accept Solomon? Yet we know that David killed Uriah, an innocent man to take his wife. Everything that should come out of Bathsheba by that testimony should be damned. But yet, the next king of Israel is coming from her womb. Don't assume you know God. Don't. Don't. So, as a man of God, I have seen the end of vision, and I'm not saying that boastfully. And I see what people assume to say they see. Huh? When you see God, when you see God. Ecclesiastes speaks of the sorrow that comes, and the grief that comes with wisdom, and the sorrow that comes with the increase of knowledge. Eh? Ecclesiastes 1.18, it says, for in much wisdom is much grief, and he that increases in knowledge increases in sorrow. But why that sorrow and grief hits you is just how much certain people Assume they know God, yet they actually do not know God. It is painful. It is painful. It is painful. That's why I usually tell people, don't think that you understand the people you're seated next to. Some of the people you're seated next to have a different relationship, levels and years far apart. And for you, actually, one of the greatest graces God can ever give you is to know who is ahead of you. Is to know who is ahead of you, because our help is usually available, but we never know where it is. Why? Because God gets lost in the familiar. That is why, even though James was a brother to Jesus, James, in the first chapter of James, he introduces himself as James, the servant of God and of the Lord Jesus. Even though he was a brother to who? To Jesus. He never said, James, comma, a brother to Jesus, comma, and his servant. No, he said, James, a servant of Jesus. And their young brother comes through in Jude chapter 1 verses 1. And then he says, Jude, comma, the servant of Jesus Christ, comma, the brother of James. But he refused to say that I'm a brother of Jesus. Why? Because these men knew they were not going to mix being Jesus' blood brother, with serving him as their Lord. They had to separate the two. Somebody might fail to receive because you're Or OB. This was my workmate. This one is my cousin brother. This one is my son. This one, you understand? And in those little small ambiguities, you lose the bigger picture of God. Some of the people God has sent to deliver you are not far from you. The only problem is they are so near you, and they are so familiar to you. Somebody shout hallelujah! But back to the point I was trying to give us here, concerning this pain that sometimes you see people, and you realize this person doesn't know God. I'll give you a small little example. We had a recent incident where I had somebody who assumed that they knew God. Oh. They even started judging. Oh, these people don't pray. For us, we are the ones who pray. We are in the perfect place of prayer. They've not understood prayer. You understand? Because some people don't even know what prayer is. Do you know many people assume prayer is when you... No, no, no. Prayer is relationship. Prayer is not what you think it is. So somebody in their most perfect life of prayer, I called her once a year back or so, and I told her, you're going the wrong way. Your channels are switching off. Oh, no, 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 no. They sort of abhorred what I said. They expressed a sort of disinterest and disrespect. And three weeks before that individual died, I'm driving and the Lord tells me this person is going to die. Me who doesn't hear God. I call Apostle Emma and Pastor Joshua and I tell them Apostle Emma, Pastor Joshua, I am bleeding in my spirit because something bad is going to hit so and so and we are going to lose them. Can you reach out to them? Pastor Emma had tried a few days too and they couldn't reach out to this person. And This person was perfectly healthy. Three weeks later from that date, I'm packing and the Lord tells me this is the week. Went upstairs and wept. Two days later, I was cold. The person's body was cold and she was dead. But for a whole year from the time I won this person to the three weeks before they died. I had hard. but when somebody is convinced in what they assume is the way of God, it is hard to tell them this is not the way. And I've seen people die. I've seen people in the wrong relationships. I've seen people make the gravest mistakes that are affecting 20 or 30 years of their destiny because they don't know God. Sometimes the gifts of the Spirit assume to us that we know God. Sometimes when somebody prays for 10, 20 minutes, 30, and then they feel the presence, and then they feel warmth, and things start to happen in their lives, and then they say, I'm in a perfect place with God. No, you are not in a perfect place with God because you're feeling the presence and the atmosphere. That day I put you in the perfect place with God. No, it doesn't. I've seen men in the perfect feeling, but in the most deceived bearing of the spirit. Because you dwell in the realm of feeling, this is a God of knowledge. This is a God of knowledge. I've seen people confess their deepest confessions and do things, and you said this person is in the perfect will. And then tomorrow something happens, and you are shocked they were far. So that sorrow comes to us as men of God. Because some of us see the things before they befall people. One time I had a vision of a lady. And I saw her life destroyed before me. And the Lord gave me a vision when she's returning to me at 50. And this I saw when she was about 38. Do you know every day I'm living the pain of one day when she will return destroyed? But you cannot reverse that. It's like parents. Some of us who are older. Not necessarily parents. You went through high school. Right? And some of these newer generation assumes that us who are slightly older than them, we sort of don't know what they went through. We don't understand their challenges. These teenage boys think that we also never went through adolescence, primary and secondary characteristics. So the guy starts to do something, and you know what he's doing. You see this girl? She walks out of a house, and you wish you want to tell her, There's a Jezebelic spirit operating on you. The way she walks. You understand? And you look at her and you're like, I know why she's talking like this. I know why she's dressing like this. She can even lie to you. I'm going to see my friends. We are going to revise. Then you look at the lips that are revising. (laughs) They are painted. Do you need to paint lips to revise? (laughs) The sorrow of understanding. And then you know, "Mm, this girl is going to make a mistake. Or you see her with a young boy walking and you're like, ha! Woo! And then you call her, you know, Anita, this is not... What? Like, there's nothing... Listen. When you grow up, eh, you just see two people talking and you can tell there's something. And then they play on you, and then they act like you don't understand what they're doing, you know, and then you remember yourself at that age... And perhaps for you, you also have certain adverse effects of that experience. You, you had a baby earlier, you messed up. They chased you from home, your education got messed up. You know where she's going. And you wish you want to sit her down and slap hell out of her head and put heaven and tell her where you're going. That cowboy is lying to you. What? But the canigger is on and he, he has his bounce and, and she thinks he's the best thing that ever happened. Ay, ay, yeah ay, yeah. And those boys, ay, ay, yeah ay, ay, And I don't know why they love crazy boys. They don't like these church boys who talk in one. No. They love them like that. You understand? If you say how are you? You're not cool. So what up? Yeah, I'm G. That's the language. Oh my god. And then you look at the girl and you know where it's going but you can't talk to her. You have to wait. They are going to break her heart anyway. You see it's coming like a movie you've watched before. You just keep praying God. I pray when they break her she doesn't die. Then one day she comes with what you always knew would happen. (laughs) He left me. He cheated on me. Didn't I tell you? Oh, sorry, sorry. You don't slap. Sorry. You know. <laughs> Am I making sense? So we know them. We see them. We look and say. Mm. So that's the thing. Also, men of God feel. You look at somebody. They are on their wedding day, but you feel too much pain because they can't see what's coming. She married a Muslim, and she's happy me, God spoke to me. She also posed the line of Moses. Now he married the Kushite. Has your face ever shined? (laughs) (laughs) Somebody shout, hallelujah. (laughs) Shout glory to God. So, when we go back to the Judas story. The Bible tells us the real problem was this man was greedy. He was a thief. And isn't it amazing that greed reveals itself most when worship becomes extravagant? Greed is most revealed when worship becomes extravagant. I want you to Write that down if underlining you could, or bold it, italicize it, whichever you want. Greed is most revealed when worship is extravagant. What am I talking about extravagant worship here? The revelation is in what I give because I have been given so much by God. You understand what I'm saying? The foundation of worship is the revelation of how much I have been given. It begins from what I have received of Him, and then it comes out to what I give. When you see a man notable or ready to give, that man has not yet understood what has been given to him. But I've also had experiences of men which give so much because they don't have a revelation of what they've already been given. And in the thought that when they give much, they shall be given. That's the law. The letter kills. Somebody shout hallelujah. The letter what? Kills. So. If you look at the story of Mary, if we go back a little bit and I'm going to take us a little bit because I'm going to come back. Mary sits at the feet of Jesus and when she sits at the feet of Jesus while Martha is serving food, Jesus says let her alone because she chose the good part. She chose the good part. That means Mary at the feet of Jesus Christ, received something from the Lord. And in receiving something from the Lord, she chose the good part. Now, many people read that portion of scripture as, when they see she chose the good part, some people think Jesus was only referring to the decision to sit at the feet of Jesus. But as we would have it later, this part chosen by Mary, comes after the conversation that she has with the master and in there, she chose her part. Who has understood what I just said? Let me explain it. The part she chose is not only in the decision she made to sit at the feet of Jesus, but also a great responsibility was put to Mary the day she sat at the feet Jesus and this is how when we get to the place of the death of Lazarus again Martha went running you remember again it was Martha like she was the one who had invited Jesus Christ for food the same time she's the one who runs first to meet Jesus oh if you are here this man would not have what have died oh he shall live I know on the day of resurrection no I am the resurrection and the life Jesus says, where is Mary? He's not asking for Martha. He says, where is Mary? Why? Because he has a covenant and a relationship that is unique with this woman. Again, in the threes, in the threes, the events are three. The first event is the day Martha invites him for food. Second event is the day of the death of Lazarus. The third event is the feast. You see? Again, it comes in the threes. For those of you who are readers. But let's go back here. He meets Mary. And the moment... Martha comes, says the Master calleth for thee. Verses 29, John 11. And as soon as she had, she arose quickly and came to him. Verses 29. And now Jesus was not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha had met him. And the Jews which were with her in the house and comforted her when they saw Mary, that she rose up hastily and went up and followed her, saying, She goeth unto the grave to weep. The Bible says, When Mary was come where Jesus was, she saw him and fell down where? Because she had picked something there. Saying unto him, Lord, if thou had been here, my brother had not died. And the Bible says, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews also weeping with her, he groaned in the spirit and he was troubled. And then he said, where have you laid him? Why is he provoked by a woman at his feet? Everybody was crying. But when he saw her, he groaned in the spirit. The Greek word there of groaning was actually prayer. That's when Jesus prayed. He groaned in the spirit. Then he said, where have you laid him? Then he went and raised Lazarus. The moment he saw Mary crying. Because going at the feet, she reminded him of something. She reminded him of something. And I'm going to tell us that thing. Later on, in this narrative, Lazarus has to invite Jesus for a feast. There's something Mary knows about an event coming where Lazarus should be. And his death at that particular point is frustrating something to come that Mary knows when they get into the house, Martha is cooking. Mary gets oil, spike spikenard, and goes and pours at the feet of the master. She's wasting. She's cleaning. And then Jesus says, no, let her alone. Why? Because, listen, it was intended, listen, that she should not she will, not might, should. That means there was an indelible command of responsibility that was given to Mary before this event ever happened. Who understands what I'm saying? He says that she should keep it for the time of my preparation for burial. And he says she has kept it that she might have it for the time of my embalming. In other words, I am going to die soon. Nobody here knows, but she knows it. And she knows that according to Jewish culture when somebody dies, a few days later, they go to embalm the body with oils, and she knows, the time some women are going to go there, I will not be in the tomb. I will not be in the grave. So, she picked an instruction, of what she should do. I believe at the feet of Jesus, is when Mary got her part. And her part was, she was the only woman, to fulfill Jewish law in anointing the body of a man who the world knew was not yet going, yet she knew very well that he was about to go and nobody was going to have an opportunity to do it except her. That is unique <laughs> ministry. If you are a minister, I'm talking about being given a path that no man will ever do like Paul laid the foundation he said no man can ever lay the foundation like Moses brought the law no man can bring any other law listen I'm talking about distinctive anointings <laughs> and parts remember in the book of Revelation the Bible says that he that addeth on this word or taketh away his part shall be robbed or taken out of the book of life what is part part is assignment part is mandate not gifting your part is your assignment, and your part is your mandate. Now, I see at the feet of Jesus that day, she had a lot. I believe in some of the conversations, Jesus Christ, this cannot be showed literally, but now I can connect through what God has revealed to me because I didn't read this in the book or anyone told me, but the Lord connected it for me. I see that at the sitting when they were having a conversation, Jesus discussed about his end and her responsibility. That is why when Lazarus dies, she goes back to remind him. But in that vision, Lazarus was supposed to be alive. Do you understand what I'm saying? In that vision, Lazarus was supposed to be alive. Where have you laid him? Where have you laid him? You're right. That's why Jesus says Lazarus' sickness shall not end in death because he's supposed to be in the should. It should happen that a woman should embalm his feet. Oh, was there any other way it should have happened? Yes, but it was supposed to have Lazarus in that narrative. That is why, to show you what Lazarus was dealing with, go back and study the scripture. In that very of scripture, you will find that later on, at one point, they even wanted to kill Lazarus again. Because Lazarus was an integral pillar in this narrative. John 12, 10, the chief priest consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death. A man has been raised from the dead, but there's something wanting to take him back because it knows that to fulfill this narrative, you need this man to be around. Why? I don't know. Are you following what I'm saying? Now, Mary is fulfilling something she already knows was her part to do. And then she sells whatever probably she has to who anoint this man. Tell me if Judas had known the importance of this moment, do you think he would have complained? He wouldn't, but he was blind, like everyone who found reason in Judas's wording. How can she spend a whole annual pay? What are her children going to do? How can she do this? How can she do that? But it came through the revelation of the master, and this I discovered that the spirit of worship has a distinct vision of the ways of God. It sees things that many people are not able to see concerning the ways of God and the things to come and our parts and mandate and responsibility in the kingdom. Do you know why some of you are not serving God like you should? You're blind. You don't have yet a vision of what is coming. You don't have yet a vision of what is coming. I pastored kids from universities. Some of you have seen you graduate, marry, raise children, get good jobs. Because those first groups, eh, up till now, all of them are doing well. All of them are doing well. Why? Because they sat under the right one. And uh, some of them, because of that position, they got in the ministry of so-and-so government or the shop they have at Yamaha or the car they drive or the promotions or the kind of man or woman they marry, many of them got satisfied so early. And in all interpretation, they have reasons for why they no longer serve God like they used to. Because they think that the service of God, eh? comes only at the first onset and then you leave others to serve. If you have known me forever, I have served God before you for as long as you know me. I'm the same man. Worship is not about only singing. Worship is about everything in you that learns to regard God as your source and put him first. And the more priority you give God, the more extravagant your worship is. But some of you, you were just one child away from serving God. You were just one husband or one wife away. You are just one job. Some of you, I remember some of you who used to stand on the streets. eh? Some of you were there for God and now you look so beautiful. You work for this wonderful company. You can't even stand on the streets to preach. So you're judging Judas, but you're a thief too. Because you rob God of what he put in you for the world. You rob God of what he put in you for the world. I tell people, my CFO, finance officer, I'll tell you of my COO, that there are even instances the ministry has had need and I was caused to go into my personal pocket from my own savings, my wife, make sure that we meet the needs of the ministry. Not because we can't call you to bring it. But because number one, we know who God is. And two, we would gladly spend and be spent for the gospel. That is why I am among the few pastors who never talk about money. I always tell God, if they are not able to give it, you make me. I will give it. Open the door that is necessary. I will what? I will give it. how you give to God, you must learn to be a big giver. If any man ever twists your hand to give, that's wrong because you're not giving in the revelation of God. You'd rather keep your money and God looks after his kingdom. It's not only in money, it's many other things. Your time. I know that you're a very busy person, but find something, however small it is, and do it for God in the kingdom. However small. Don't just be a taker. Oh, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. What do you give in the church? It might not be money, but it might be time. Find a responsibility. It might take you one minute a week. It might take you 10 minutes. You might not be a national security person. Some of you who are working people, just tell yourself, maybe on Thursday, let me break off early and just come and help in setup. You're serving God. That's extravagant worship if you left your job early just to help arrange a church, you are exactly like the person who has extravagantly worshipped God in whichever way. That's extravagant. Why? Because you have taken of your time to earn and given it to God to serve. Never be too beautiful for God. Never be too handsome for God. Never be too rich for God. Some of you, you're too rich for God. You're too special for God to use you. You are too you know, blessed. But where did it come from? I was dealing with the story of a young man. I will not tell you his name in this ministry. One time, this guy used to be one of the most punctual people. And he used to serve in my inner circle. Then one day he got a car. The boy started coming late. One time. Two times. One time I was somewhere in ministry. I needed help. He was the one supposed to come and help me, set me up. And the guy told me, Papa, I'm in jam. I realized this problem was what? A car. If he was wise at that particular point, he would have packed that car at a petrol station and gotten a border border because God comes first. But the boy was driving his what? His car. When he told me, I said, Doc, I'll wait for you. I raised my hand there where I was and I said, Father, take away that car in Jesus' name. The next week it was a Thursday. The boy packed his car. When he came back, it was nowhere. Now, because he didn't know my prayer, he called me, Papa, send a word. Someone has stolen my car. I told him, let me pray. And then I hung up and I said, Yeah! <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. You're a good God. You're a good God. Because the car had become a what? An idol. And then police, what? I told him, don't even waste your time. You'll never find that car. But I knew what God had done. Then the guy went back to being the very time punctual guy. So one time I called him and I told him, you know why that car got lost? Was answered prayer. He said, no. You're becoming crazy so early. Okay, I'm sorry. Then I prayed for him and he got a bigger car. But he learned, he's now time conscious. Day, he was a Judas. He didn't know. Because he was robbing of the kingdom. But because he doesn't touch in the past directly like my Judah, he thinks everyone is a thief except him. Many of you, you are greedy and thieves. You steal kingdom time. You steal kingdom time. Find something that is extra. How can you miss a service? Maybe there are those reasons I understand. Uh, my boss made us work overnight. I understand. I had a project to finish. I understand. But you're going to be weighed by when you finish that project. Did you go to follow through with that someone? You ask somebody, did you watch last week's service? Aha, that, that was busy. Okay, you were busy since Thursday. Today is Sunday. Tomorrow is going to be Monday. It's going to get to Wednesday and you've not watched it. You're still busy? No. The moment you're done with your busy schedule, which God understands. Get to the word and make sure you watched it. You understand what I'm saying? The Bible says we should present our bodies as a living sacrifice. It says it's the only reasonable service. When you're talking about Judas, you're reasoning out, give this to the poor. What God understands by reasonable is you saying, I am available for you, God. I am a busy man, but I'm available. I'm a CEO, but I'm available. I'm a managing director, but I'm available. I'm an engineer, but I'm available. I'm a pilot, but I'm available. I am a businessman, one of the best the world would ever see, but I am available for the things of God. That is the foundation of worship, to put God first. Because when you put God first, it's amazing how he will always place you first in purpose. That When the world doesn't know what's coming next, you will know. And eventually, the distinctive mark on your life will be evident because you will do things not many people are able to do because your timing, your timing, your timing, your timing is right. Some of you are postponing your service. I will do this, I will do this, I will do this, I will do this. If these people knew that Jesus was going to go six days, seven days from that death, they would have served differently. But the only problem is that you think you have time on your side. It's not that you don't want to serve God. You have postponed the Listen, the way of the kingdom is to do now. It's to do now. Some of you, I tell you, do everything and wear yourself out so that by the time you go to heaven, you have no regrets. Lastly, I was in India recently And one of the men who hosted me, a wonderful man of God, brought around another Hindu friend of his. And this guy availed very nice things. They put me in a Rolls Royce. Oh, my God, it's a beautiful car. You can even hear your watch. That's how quiet it is. Amazing. And I was living big and life life was everything. It was perfect. And then one of the guys responsible for that service, the guy who availed his car and contributed in so many ways, He's a Hindu guy who's actually not a Christian. And so, one day we went to visit him. He runs a very big construction company. And uh, he was first funded by the man of God, Bishop Benjamin, who invited me. Gave him very little money a few years ago. And then this man out of that made a multi-million dollar business. He has one of the biggest construction companies in Hyderabad. Wealthy guy. Very wealthy. So, I go to meet him to say hello, thank him for his service to us and stuff like that. And then the guy points to Bishop Benjamin and said, this man here is my godfather. He said, this man is my godfather because he gave me my first amount of money. He was the source of everything that I have. And the man said, and I committed to him that regardless of where I will be, how busy I will be, or how high I will go, I will always be available for his needs. So he told me you are coming in town and he said I should serve this way and I had to do it. Because whatever he wants in this world, I do for him. I never forget where it all began. That's a Hindu man with a deep biblical principle, never forget your source. Another story, one of the businesses I was running a few years ago, I used to do a distributorship for a certain company and there were many distributors for that company and one of them was an Indian fellow and then one time he fell behind in his distributorship and then they wanted to close his business because he was not delivering and they called him and he flew from the country. And then he sat the managers down and he said, you cannot close my business. He says, no. They insist. Give it to another person. Why? Because the guys become so filthy. And this business is like a small drop in the ocean. It's a nothing. And then this man said, this was my first. This was my source. I look at this business as a source of everything that defines wealth for me so I can lose any business, but not this one. Why? This Hindu man knew to respect the source. Some of you, the gospel gave you everything you have. You were nothing. You were nothing. You had nothing. Not in your name, not in your color, not on your face, not in your tribe, not your family. You washed you, cleansed you. You were clean. You put on smart. And now, You don't have time and you judge Judah, career. You're the same in many ways. Never forget your source. It doesn't matter how high you go. I'm more blessed than many of you in this room. You if not all of you. I'm richer than many of you in this room. I have way more than many of you could ever dream. But I still serve God every day of my life. Because I know my source. I know my source. Don't ever build a life that disconnects you from the reality of who you really are. Because you were nothing without him. Build a life of extravagant worship. It's okay to be set up, yet you are the richest businessman in Uganda. It's okay to be in the security... Yet you are one of the richest people in the world. I told people one time I went to an Asian nation and I was preaching in this wonderful big church. And then I entered, and then there was this guy dancing, big guy like this in t-shirts and shorts, jeans shorts, I think. Oh, hello, come in, come in. Oh, let me take you to your seat. In my head, I'm thought, yeah, Asha. So I go. Guy sits me down. A few minutes later, oh, pastor, any drink I can get you anything? I can get you water, anything? I can drive and get you anything? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. And a few minutes later lady taps me up and says, this man is one of the richest men in the city. He's a millionaire in dollars. Very filthy. (gasps) My jaw dropped. Why? Because one of the richest men in the city was ushering. (laughs) That is extravagant. That is extravagant. Never be too clean for God. Never be too polished for God. Never be too educated for God. Never be too connected for God. You understand what I'm saying? God wants to raise a person that can do anything. Can be dirty for him. Can sit anywhere. Can walk anywhere. Can enter anywhere. Up to today, Apostle Grace Lueger, some of you have looked for me for two years and you can't find me. Not because I'm proud, but I'm busy. But do you know up to today, I still go to markets and preach? And people find me there and they can't believe I'm the one because I don't look like a person who could go in the market. You know why I go on the streets? I don't forget where I come from. I still drive to hospitals to pray for the sick. You know why? I don't forget where I come from. Do you know why I don't drive with bodyguards? I don't forget where I came from. I know my source. I can fly and glamour. I don't. Why? Because I know my source. And never forget that before... I had nothing and I was nothing. That consciousness always reminds me stay grounded. Some of you, you get inflated very quickly. And Bambi, it's a Japanese car. It's a 1996 Honda. It even dances when you drive. It's like it's drumming. And you are already inflated. Hey, hey, I tell the day you buy a G wagon, will we sleep? Fire. Somebody shout hallelujah. This is how I want to finish. Extravagant worship is doing beyond what the world expects you. Is doing what cannot fit you because the world has elevated you. And you can still go down and say, "Uh uh-uh, I'm primarily a servant of God. Raise your children knowing it that I can be anything and I will do anything in this world. When it comes to God, it comes first whether you switch off the main switch and the microwave and everything until you all pray, God comes first in my house. Somebody shout hallelujah. Hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, this time, let us not do this. If it falls on Thursday, don't go. If it falls on a Sunday, tell them, look, I have a time with God that cannot be compromised. Even the people who do business with me know that I don't build my faith around my schedules. I've build my schedules around my faith. If the deal falls in the time when I'm going to be in the presence of God, you will wait or take it to another man. But I will not cancel anything for God. Why? Because I know where it all began and I know what he is able to do in my life. Uganda is on a revival. Huh? Something is happening in Uganda from Uganda to the world. You people better wake up and go to the next level of serving God. Wherever you are, serve God. Because Jesus is about to return. Recently I had a vision of the rapture. And I cannot tell you Because people have spoken it for years and we've not seen it. But every fiber of my being sobered up in that vision. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus is about to return. All the signs spoken of in prophecy are here. This generation might be the last leg. Might. Might. And we're going to serve God with everything that we have. In Jesus' name. Raise your voice and talk to God. make a personal prayer and commitment to God to change. Jesus You're my friend forever. Come on, pray. God's prayer, every man at the sound of my voice, including myself and our children who don't yet understand what we're saying, is that may we not only live for God, but may we live extravagantly for God in our worship and service. May we put you first and we repent God where you have been second, third or fourth. We repent where we have robbed you of whatever you're supposed to be doing in our lives. Our minds are changed, metanoia. We choose to see things different from today in the name of Jesus Christ. And we believe that great days are ahead of us in Jesus' name, amen. I pray for the sick right now. If you're sick in your body, receive your healing right now in the name of Jesus Christ. Somebody shout hallelujah. Shout glory to God. If you have never given your life to Christ, today is the day. Today is the moment. This is the hour. This is the time. Say Lord Jesus, I thank you because you died for my sins and you were raised for my glory. Tonight, I receive you As my personal Lord and Savior, I believe that you died for me so I could live. And I believe today my life is changed. Amen. The message you have just heard was brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. Finero, make manifest.